Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me thine ears. Alright, in all seriousness though, it's good to be back. Me and Sergeant Barnes here are surveying things as they happen on the battlefield. I have a few updates before we get into the meat and potato. Uh, obviously, let's start with the Ukraine conflict here. Uh, the Battle of Bakhmut has actually, um, I apologize if I don't pronounce that correctly, but the Battle of Bakhmut has been underway for the last month and a half, roughly, but only recently, in the last two weeks, has it really truly intensified, especially since the uh, um, evacuation of uh, Kherson. So, you know, what does it really mean? Why is it the case that they're focusing on Bahmut? Well, Bahmut is actually a significant logistical center, uh, center for railway as well as uh, operational highway linkages, which connects the uh, region um, and are part of the way to liberate the rest of Donetsk and Luhansk. Now, before it was the case that the Russians didn't have the manpower they were spread too thin, the front was too far, too long, and as we keep on saying, that entire core of men is going to take a while until it's ready. They said roughly it would be, let's say, I think it was like early December, but I think that's bullshit. Um, we all know like how bad Russians are at logistics, and I have no doubt that their, their training is also going to be an issue and getting men to the front is also an issue but it's not a big deal but um, the most important thing that you need to understand about Bahmut is that it's not necessarily that the Russians are focusing necessarily on the city however focusing on the city it fixes Ukrainian forces and cause reinforcements to come through and the fact of the matter is that um, holding Bahmut has actually been a significant issue for the Ukrainians because they have been incurring a lot of casualties while meanwhile the Russians have not why because the Russians focus on their artillery and they basically destroy by fire so what the Russian tactic is like I've said in a previous episode is to meet the enemy fix the enemy with small arm fire uh, fires and then basically destroy him with you know indirect fire IDF right so with heavy mortars and howitzers etc and then finally especially in siege warfare or in urban environments they use heavy caliber artillery shells and so that's really what we're at right now but here's the kicker so since the VDV and other mobile units uh, especially the third Crimean Corps as well as other armored um, like uh, first of the line line units are being freed up for maneuver 
what's happening is that they're sending Wagner troops, which are actually pretty good, surprisingly, um, to fix the enemy and to attack Bahmut itself, as the Ukrainians are getting, you know, dug in and invested at Bahmut to try and defeat it, uh, or defend it rather, um, the Russians are doing a pincer movement on both sides. Now, from what I last heard, um, there hasn't been any significant change on the battlefield aside from uh, continuous gains, small incremental gains on the Russian front, um, but obviously we will survey this as time goes on. I believe that in the future, the Battle of Bahamut will be known as a significant pivoting point. Either it will hail the end of the Ukrainian war effort or the end of the Russian war effort. And it will all be linked to this event because if the Russians are able to win, even before their million-man core of reinforcements is able to arrive, then victory is probably assured. While vice versa, a Ukrainian victory, even though there is no uh, reinforcement on the Russian side, it would probably indicate um, a successful military edge and boost of morale, and while it'll cause the Russian morale, which is already low, to sink even further, which is probably the most important element of any war campaign. Now, this is all very important. It's very interesting to note that the the Ukrainian government has actually, in the last couple of months, been pulling back their premier forces to rear operating locations um, and preparing concrete bunkers in the vicinity of Kiev, um, the eastern and western Ukrainian territory region. Um, there is a fear and ongoing border escalations between the Belarusian and Ukrainian forces. Um, as we know, there's like 350,000 soldiers being co-trained by Belarusian forces, um, and they're fighting. They're, it is likely that there will be another attack from Belarusia into Kiev, into the Ukraine, um, at some future time. Again, we'll monitor the situation as it happens, um, but that's all I have to report for now. Next, to get into the meat and potatoes of this transmission. I think I spent a lot of time eulogizing and glorifying the born warrior, the archetype. However, I think most people have caught on that there are two archetypes which encapsulate a ideal warrior, right? Like there's Mars and there's Athena. And, um, you know, one... So, so the warrior I would liken to Mars, but the latter, which I liken to Athena, is the citizen soldier. It's the man that does his duty for his country, serves his country, fights in battles bravely, is an example, example of martial prowess and leadership. However, he doesn't relish the fight. He's there out of duty as opposed to um, that being his element, if that makes sense. But this is not to lessen his stature, but instead is supposed to elucidate a different archetype of warrior, a different archetype of soldier. And uh, I spend so much time on the former that I've decided to dedicate to the latter and to talk about real-life, interesting memoirs of individuals from World War II from the Axis perspective, because we hear so much. Like, for instance, uh, Citizen Soldier, we, we know of 
from home is uh, the Band of Brothers, Lieutenant Winters. Many people don't know this, but like he served throughout World War II, right? He's just a good man. Uh, went back, tended to his business, had a successful business, and then the Korean War popped off, and he was called up, and he did his duty, training, and etc., etc. However, he wasn't about the fight. He wasn't like someone that really relished fighting or killing or dying or something like that. It was, it was just simply his duty, and he called. He was called to it, and he did it. Um, but we don't hear so much about the Axis. All we hear is about the SS and how crazy and evil they are. Blah 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 blah. All this bullshit, communist stuff. But we never talk about like the average man, uh, the man that was also called to service to do his duty for his country and to fight. Um, so, without further ado, I think uh, it's important to kick back, relax, have a sip of whiskey. I hope you all join me as well. Uh, I think Sergeant Barnes is enjoying himself as well. And we're just here on the uh, command post, sitting back, relaxing. Well, this is General Lance, and this is Lance's Legion. Felt more alive than right now at this moment Lighting up the night sky, staring down the opponent I know it's not advisable to strike first If I hope it's a self-defense situation That gets internet rotation Made a promise, I never back down But the time comes Attack us, won't be getting back up And I'm done Racking up the bodies Leave them just alive enough So they can answer when I ask them If they really like it But for now though We'll just feast these hungry eyes Size them up Everything they threaten Is the kind of thing that I would love Oh, you're gonna show up at my house? Shit, see you there We'll do it one-handed blindfolded Just to make it fair I'll even let you wear the damn skirt And those fake tits Just try to make the trip Without hanging yourself, bitch I'm right here waiting Just waiting for you A little gladiator tournament Table for two We've been talking about Causing a ruckus Now let's do it Let the left side come And we can get it to it Bags all packed up Going to a rally It's gonna be a blast Don't start it up without me We've been talking about Causing a ruckus Now let's do it Let the left side come And we can get it to it Bags all packed up Going to a rally It's gonna be a blast don't start it up without me Hate drugs, but this adrenaline I'm getting is great stuff The sulfur from these crackling flares Is on my taste buds Bugging off this buzz And I'm loving every motherfucking minute But every second is getting more hectic And at this point It's no longer even about the message I'm hallucinating About making rejuvenating messes of blood Out of these animals Damn, Soro supports you You wanna abort babies? Well, how about I abort you? Thought you were bad But now you're realizing otherwise Wanted the battle But now you're telling me Some other time Look at me Don't pretend you didn't create this I made Big ways, but I'm just part of the great shift I hate bitch ass nigger lovers Get the covers and the pillow Get put to sleep buried with your dildo A table for two, but it's a one-sided issue It's like one, two, the death squad's gonna get you We've been talking about causing a ruckus Now let's do it Let the left side come and we can get it to 
it. Bags all packed up, going to a rally. It's gonna be a blast, don't start it up without me. We've been talking about causing a ruckus, now let's do it. Let the left side come and we can get it to it. Bags all packed up, going to a rally. It's gonna be a blast, don't start it up without me. Alright, 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 and we're back. Now, first of all, that track there was from No Face Nate. I'll put a hyperlink to his newest album. It is fire. I love that stuff. It's fucking great. But, let's get to the meat and potatoes. Like I said before, um, just to reiterate, I always give special treatment to the born warrior, right? You guys know me. I I think that our modern world, the way that we structure things, the way that we give value to individuals is predicated on peace, on values which are Christian, which I'm not giving a positive or negative sentiment on it. However, I think it gets in the way of a Homeric value system, right? The the glorification of all archetypes, you know, and um, the deification of the absolute warrior. You see, you know, in the Christian Christian tradition in the West, it's seen that the warrior is bloodthirsty, he doesn't care for peace, and that peace is the ultimate good. And I don't share that same ethos. And because of 2,000 years of that kind of philosophy and thought... What happens is the born warrior is left behind. Um, we still find room for Hector, for the archetypes like Hector, like in you know, for instance, the Iliad, etc. The guy that's just doing his duty and all that kind of stuff. But we claim it to be a necessary evil. And now, before I get anyone to attack me about Christianity, etc., and this is true in Eastern Orthodoxy as well as the Catholic tradition, which I, by the way, also lump in the Protestant tradition. So the Protestants are a descendant from Catholicism, right? Like, I'm not going to get into it. The point being is I remember reading um, St. Photius of the Byzantine Church, um, basically saying that a soldier, even in righteous murder, quote-unquote, or killing, uh, should abstain from the sacrament for a year. Now, one could say, okay, that means that you can come back, you can have your sins absolved, blah, 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 that's fine. Like, you can have a reprochement. However, that reveals something true about the ethos of Christianity, which is fundamentally not a warrior religion, it's an ascetic religion. And, again, I'm not here to give, you know, a value system or judgment on that. What I'm here to do is to speak about warriorhood and the warrior ethos. Now, if we switch tacks here, we talk about the citizen soldier. The citizen soldier is the man who, like I said before, gives duty, honor, uh, commitment to his 
fatherland. And if we examine the Iliad, for instance, the two main archetypes of battle are Hector and Achilles. And Hector is seen as a good prince because he doesn't relish war. He doesn't care for war in the way that Achilles cares for war. Achilles was born to be a warrior full stop. Whereas Hector is more of a prince and he does war as a collateral duty he must fulfill for his nation and his family, etc. Now, both men, in my humble opinion, hold a very high esteem in archetype. And I wanted to, instead of talk about some remote example, you know, I was thinking of, you know, when I was making this transmission, I was thinking, you know, maybe I should reference, um, I should reference, you know, Niccolo Machiavelli because he was actually one of the biggest proponents for a citizen militia vice, you know, uh, condottieri, which is like a mercenary contractor standing force, you know, professional force. He was for a militia, and he said that it had engagement with the citizenry. They felt more involved. Um, also, it's just more moral, blah, 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 like all these um, different cases, but that's still far removed from us, right? Like, that was written in the 1500s from the experience of a man living in the 1500s, and not one of the 20th or 21st century. So, what I decided to do is actually revisit one of the most interesting memoirs of a citizen soldier who does not come from the um, Atlantic tradition, right? So, the Anglo-Saxon realm. And this is an individual, his name is Guy Sayre. He wrote this book called The Forgotten Soldier. And it talks about his military experience during the Second World War, during the battle from the Eastern Front, um, and his experiences as a young man in the Gross Deutschland Division. So, without further ado, um, what I would like to say is that, just to preface Gisayer's life, you have to understand that Gisayer is not from historical German geographically. He's from Alsace-Lorraine, which is obviously a borderland that was fought over between the Germans and the French for frankly a millennia but even recently to his time that region had changed hands I think two or three times um, you know during the Franco-Prussian War um, which by the way I have a new translation of that book at uh, Ducks Publishing Company if you want to check it out buy it there but um, as I said those are some interesting things there that like he has his his mother is German and his father is French. Um, and obviously the uh, Blitzkrieg and the Ardennes Offensive, which defeated the Allied forces and the British Expeditionary Force um, at, uh, I believe it was Dunkirk. Uh, you know, all these things happened, right? And he was a young man. He was 16 at the time until he finally turned 17. And he got 
his permission from his parents to sign up for the logistical corps. Now, what is the logistical corps? So, as I have said before, it's not just the warfighter, the man with the rifle in his hand, shooting guys, you know, taking objectives, you know, stacking bodies, killing names. You know, it's not just those guys that are the most important. Usually, it's the case there is a long, long logistical chain which sustains prolonged military operations. So, back in the Napoleonic era, it generally was, like, for instance, Napoleon was quick to advance because what he did is he lived off the land. And to a certain extent, if you read this book, so did the German soldiers. However, you're not capable of doing that when it comes down to um, sustaining a modern mechanized force. Because, you know, aside from even the big things like tanks, planes, uh, you know, uh, fleets, let's say, you also have the issue with uh, even small caliber rounds. You can't really make that at the front line in copious numbers, the numbers that you really need. Um, in addition, you know, repairs, gunsmiths, um, fuel, things which require a, you know, rear area with a developed mechanized capacity. So, what he did, he was a truck driver. Uh, it's kind of funny, though, because he actually talks about his experience of the different trucks that they actually had. And um, the early war, 1940, 1941, the invasion of the Soviet Union saw the changeover of a lot of different um, foreign equipment. We don't usually talk about how uh, foreign equipment was captured and used by foreign militaries. So, for instance, the Germans actually, when they took over Czechoslovakia, they used the tank chassis from the Czech tanks and fixed new turrets or fixed turret systems on top of them actually became competent tanks and useful for um, infantry support in the later war. But uh, this was also true for trucks. Trucks, I mean, there are many trucks and especially because the Soviet Union is a massive grassland, you have to imagine, even back then, today's it's especially true still, but back then it was exceptionally true. And it was during this time which, you know, the the rail lines, also there are different gauges for rail lines, so the Axis couldn't advance very quickly using the rail lines of the Soviet Union because they're a different gauge, so you couldn't use German trains on Russian tracks. They had to convert the tracks to the German gauge. And that is to say, even if there were, <laughs> you know, rail lines that were compatible, um, most times it was just dirt roads, endless dirt roads for miles and miles and miles. And you have to remember the vast expanse of Russia. I remember reading this uh, quote about how, uh, from a German soldier, about how they trekked deeper and deeper into the uh, Russian steppe. And how it seemed as though the steppe just simply swallowed them like a big sky and grassland. And you just lose hill over hill over hill monotonous marching you know this kind of crazy thing but anyway so his job was to be in a tank column go to the front back from base in a truck and his first deployment was actually during the middle of winter um, and he talks about um, his experiences as an average soldier 
um, about how his friendly men were dying of frost, frostbite, um, how trucks would be, you know, would break down and ultimately they would have to destroy those trucks just to make sure that they don't fall into partisan hands and nothing of use was left behind. Um, now, you know, he talks about this experience and in many ways, like, so he wasn't in the Grossdeutschland division at that time, right? He was too young, inexperienced, um, and Grossdeutschland, if you know your military history, it wasn't just a line infantry unit, which is like average dudes, you know, conscripts, etc. Um, nor was he, it was a garrison, it was an elite line A grade um, force. So during the Cold War, there was a, actually a, a NATO system to judge the quality of a unit. So it went on A, B, and C scale. So A scale was Grossdeutschland, like mechanized or armored divisions. Um, this also included the first 12 of the SS divisions. Okay, and then there was B line units, and this was the majority of the here, which I apologize if I mispronounce, but it's basically just the German army. Um, you know, it's the numbered infantry divisions, the cavalry divisions, you know, nothing too interesting, but they're capable units, um, able to withstand, um, you know, competently navigate a, how do you say, you know, a conventional war scenario, combat scenario. Now, grade C is the last one, and this is what the majority of people don't understand. So the SS divisions, um, they had very, very good divisions, or they had very, very bad divisions. And so those bad, poorly equipped divisions, um, they were used uh, the majority of the time to round up partisans and do anti-partisan warfare. Now, they were good at that. They were cost-effective, um, especially in the Yugoslav um, area of operations, they deployed a lot of these C-grade SS divisions to root out communist partisans of Tito in that area, and they did that to great effect. However, they're not really good at, you know, fighting the, uh, the Russians. So the Russians weren't even that great, but even units like that or the Romanian divisions were just... It's not even simply undersupplied, but they're undertrained, and those divisions weren't able to stand up against the uh, Soviet Union. So they used them in rear operations to root out partisans um, for military policing, um, for you know, for minor, you know, auxiliary support. So if there was a, a you know, a breach attack, basically they would use those divisions to hold off any enemy penetration of the front until the frontline units were, were able to reconvene, reorganize, and restabilize the front. Now, uh, let's see here. So, we kind of continued through his career, and he talks about a couple different circumstances, some crazy things. There's this Russian-Soviet movie called Eyes Wide Shut, um, and it talks about basically this Russian family that was a partisan family, one person in this village shot like a German soldier, and so there were reprisals, right? And the reprisal is that everyone in the fucking village dies. Now, the Soviet prop it's Soviet propaganda, so it portrays them as bloodthirsty, evil, 
you know, like, just, you know, drunken, drug-using psychopaths. That's kind of how they portray the German soldiers that were in charge of doing that. Um, you know, I'm sure there are psychopaths in every army. That's just the truth. There are crazy people and fundamentally fucked up people, freaks, um, in every nation. You know, the United States to Russia to fucking Africa, you know, general butt naked and stuff. So I'm not saying that this didn't happen, but that's definitely not the norm. And uh, you might want to help yourself get rid of this kind of programming, right? Now, there was this episode in Gisayer's early career where they are fired upon uh, by partisans in the snow, and this is his first combat experience. So they all dismount, they start firing, you know, with their rifles and engaging the enemy. And from, like, their left flank, just, it seemed like out of nowhere, a German panzer, I think it was company, just absolutely schwacked them in the tr tree line. It was, I mean, it was such a great piece of imagery. He talks about, like, you know, they, they were shooting, shooting back at the partisans, they are kind of giving tit for tat, and suddenly they hear this rumble in the snow, like muffled rumble, and, uh, you know, machine gun fire, um, establishing fire superiority over the partisans who were in the wood line, and basically these, these massive Panzer 3s and 4s were just literally running over uh, entire patches of this forest with, like, you know, small saplings and stuff, like, as if it were, like, grass. Um, and, you know, running over these partisans. I, I thought that was really interesting. But, you know, that's just a small aspect of his career. And I think if we delve into that too much, um, we fall into the trap of focusing on, not focusing on the most interesting parts of his career. So later, uh, before he joins Deutschland Division, Stalingrad falls. And I think... It's not just Guy Sayer through the eyes of a, a common, you know, dutiful citizen soldier um, that sees things this way. He kind of sees things in a realistic um, perspective, especially on the uh, respective, uh, you know, just looking in the reflection, if that makes sense. And he's honest and true about things. He's not very cavalier. But I actually had this little quote uh, which talked about the last transmission of the last units of the Wehrmacht holding out in Stalingrad before their position had been taken. Um, and if you don't, if you've heard the uh, History Channel over and over again, you know it talked about how Hitler's you know died to the last man, and and Marshal Paulus, Paulus I think his name was, um, basically ended up surrendering to the Soviets, um, and instead of dying, which is what. Hitler had intended, which would have been the honorable thing. Um, it's not just a Hitler thing, by the way. Like, even in the Western tradition, if a, uh, if a military officer of that rank um, had been, you know, a taken prisoner or whatever, it was seen as a honorable thing for him to take his own life before being taken prisoner. And this is part of the reason why Napoleon III was deposed after his uh, defeat at Sedan, and he had been captured in person. The reason why is because uh, the majority of the French public were outraged that he got caught in the first place. Either he should have not been caught, or had he fallen into the clutches of the enemy, should have taken his own life. 
Now, I know there's going to be tons of people that say, oh, well, he had like a debilitating symptom, which is gallstones, and he just, he couldn't, like, this guy could barely fucking sit up, so, look, man, like, I get it, like, I'm not here passing judgment, especially because I'm not, I wasn't in that position, you know, none of us were in Stalingrad, and, but it bears witnessing to know that of, I think it was like 30 to 40,000 Germans that had been captured by the Soviets, I think it was almost a thousand that made it home after the hard labor in gulags. So remember that if you ever are going to be taking prisoner, remember that you're probably going to die anyway. And it's better to die in the ruins of glorious battle than it is to die ignominiously after surrender in, you know, enemy occupation in enemy, uh, you know, prisons. But here is the quote that actually was. Uh, just going to talk to you. I was going to read you this thing, so bear with me here. So, this is Gisair now. The marshal added that the cavalry of these unfortunate combatants had reached a peak, and that after the hell of this battle, which lasted for months, the halo of glory has never been more truly deserved. I have here the last message picked up by the shortwave from the ruins of the tractor factory Red October. The high command requests that I read it to you. It was sent by one of the last fighting soldiers of the 6th Army, Heinrich Stoda. Heinrich states in this message that in the southwest district of Stalingrad, he could still hear the sound of fighting. Here is the message. We are the last seven survivors in this place. Four of us are wounded. We have been entrenched in the wreckage of the tra tractor factory for four years. Excuse me, four days. We have not had any food for four days. I have just opened the last magazine for my automatic. In ten minutes, the Bolsheviks will overrun us. Tell my father that I've done my duty and that I have known how to die. Long live Germany. Heil Hitler. Heinrich Stoda was the son of Doctor of Medicine Adolf Stoda of Munich. There was an impressive silence, broken only by a few blasts of wind. I thought of my uncle there whom I had never met because of the rupture between our two families. Again, this is because his mother, who was German, married his French father, right? I had only seen his photograph, and they had told me he was a poet. I felt very keenly that I had lost a friend. A man in the ranks began to whimper. His white temples made him look like an old man. Then he quit his rigid posture and began to walk towards the officers, crowding, crying, and shouting at the same time. My two sons are dead. It was bound to happen. It's all your fault, you officers. It's fatal. We'll never be able to stand up to the Russian winter. He bowed almost double and burst into tears. My two children have died there, my poor children. At ease, ordered the Feldwebel. Feldwebel. I cannot pronounce this, these uh, hun words, but anyway. No, kill me if you like, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. Two soldiers stepped forward and took the poor man by the arms, trying to lead him back to his place before anything worse happened. Hadn't he just insulted the officers? Unfortunately, he struggled, like someone possessed by demons. Take him to the infirmary, the captain said. Give him a sedative. I thought he was going to add something else, but his expression remained fixed. Perhaps he too had lost a relative. At ease. 
We returned to our trucks in small and silent groups. By now, it was full night. The rolling white horizon was tinged with a cold, bluish gray. I shivered. So that's the end of that passage there. And um, I don't know. When I read that, I was I was really impressed. I mean, um, I verified. I fact-checked. You know, fact-checked these fucking communists nowadays. But I actually verified that it wasn't just, um, you know, German propaganda to sustain the war effort. That was actually based on, on truth. Um, and, uh, you know, first of all, rest in peace, you know, Heinrich Stoda. That's an ex- excellent example of citizen soldiery. Ex- excellent example of commitment to duty. I, I don't know what else to say aside from that's truly impressive and you have to remember the battle of Stalingrad which I'll go into at a future transmission um, was perhaps the battle of the Eastern Front save the push for Moscow and a number of uh, you know the battle of Kursk 1, 2, and 3 so you have to understand that Stalingrad was such a, a massive psychological and spiritual crusade for both sides and you read the experiences of both of them and it's just so moving to hear someone so I don't know dedicated to a mission and in the last moments of your defense you put up a good front as a joyous warrior, you know, your last fucking mag, you got your boys all dead, you know, in your company, probably your battalion's gone, uh, you're losing ground, and the Bolsheviks, when they come, they come like waves, it's insane, it's just mounds and mounds of human flesh, I mean, yeah, okay, they're poorly armored and armed, you know, they don't even have helmets most of the time, they have rifles, um, they don't even have adequate ammunition, but they have bayonet charges and balls, and they always attack. Fatalistically, don't care about themselves. They they fight, and they fight, and they attack, and they charge, and they never stop. It's just, it's just such a crazy real-life circumstance to see unfold. But... Anyway, if we continue and we go through Guy Sayer's personal experience, so he gets selected for the Gross Deutschland Division, and the difference between the German model or the Continental model and the American model for recruitment and training is that in the Continent, you actually go to the physical unit and train. Vice here in America, what you do is you go to a school that is a training regiment, battalion, etc., and then you get dispersed into, uh, you know, different divisions, battalions, etc. But there, what you do is you re- you train in a training battalion of that division, and then you are parceled out to the different battle stations you are trained for. Now he takes up um, himself as a Panzer Grenadier, uh, which means that he's mechanized infantry. Um, I liked a lot of the training, however, if I were to go into it too deep, um, you know, I think it'd just be a kind of a little bit of a waste of time. It's a lot better to listen to him in his own words from his book, 
Um, but I kind of wanted to talk about the combat on the Eastern Front, which was a totally different animal than the Western Front or the combat in Africa or elsewhere. The Soviet-German conflict was just so ghastly and intense. Uh, it's it's hard to even compare. Like the the Second World War was really fought on the Eastern Front, and you'll see why. Uh, I'm about to read here a, just a a sample a sample of his experience um, fighting. You know, so they arrive on the Eastern Front, part of the Gross Deutschland Division. This is around the spring of 1943, and they're digging foxholes in defensive positions, uh, waiting for an offense. Right. Now, listen to what I have to say. We had just finished setting up our two Spandaus, which is a machine gun, by the way, when the noise of tanks rolling over the brush behind us made us shudder. On that magnificent summer afternoon, German tanks were once again leaving the shade and driving toward the east. From behind them, entire regiments bent double, passed us, and vanished into a wall of dust, which hid them from view. About five minutes later, the Russians began a bombardment of unprecedented ferocity. Everything became opaque, and the sun vanished from our eyes, which had become enormous with fright. The storm cloud of dust was relieved only by continuous red flashes shooting up against the dark masses of trees 80 or 100 yards away. The earth shook harder than I'd yet felt it do, and the brush behind us burst into flame. Screams of fear froze into in our constricted throats everything seemed displaced the air all around us was filled with flying clods mixed with fragments of metal and fire kraus and one of the newcomers were buried in a landslide before they even knew what happened to them i threw myself into the deepest corner of our hole and stared uncomprehendingly at the stream of earth flooding towards our shelter I began to howl like a madman. Halls pressed his filthy head against mine, and our helmets clattered together like two mess tins. Hal's face was transfigured by terror. It's the end, he gasped, his words broken up by the explosions which took away our breath. Overwhelming, overwhelmed by horror, I could only agree. Suddenly, a human figure crashed into our hole. We both trembled with desperation and fright. Then a second human shape joined the first in a great heap. This time, our huge eyes took in what these two meant, what these two of our men. One of the newcomers shouted to us through his frantic gasp for breath, "My whole company was wiped out! Wiped out! It's terrible!" He carefully lifted his head just up over the edge of the embankment as a series of explosions began to rip through the air beside us. His helmet and a piece of his head went, went sent flying, and he fell backward with a horrifying cry. His shattered skull crashed into Hall's hands, and we were splattered with blood and fragments of flesh. Hall's threw the revolting cadaver as far as he could and buried his face in the dirt. The explosions had become so violent that we felt the ground all around us must be shifting. Outside our hole, on the torn and ravaged plain, we could hear an engine roaring out of control. 
Then there was another explosion, more violent than all the others, and an enormous flash of light swept the edge of our trench. Our two Spandaus fell back on top of us in a wave of loose earth. Those who weren't struck dumb with fright howled like madmen. We're finished. Mama, it's me. No, no. We'll be buried alive. Help. But nothing we could put an end to this hell. Nothing, nothing we said could put an end to this hell, which seemed to go on forever. About thirty soldiers on the run plunged in with us. We were kicked and shoved without mercy as everyone tried to burrow as deeply as possible. Whoever was left on top was finished. The earth all around us was pocked with thousands of shell holes, and from each of these we could hear the sounds of fleeing soldiers looking for refuge. But the cruel Russian soil was torn by fresh salvos, and those who thought they'd saved continued to die. We heard the roar of airplane engines, and cheers for the Luftwaffe rose from thousands of desperate men. The bombardment continued for a few more seconds, and then decreased dramatically. The officers, who were still alive, blew their whistles for retreat, and the men packed into our little hole, poured out like rabbits chased by a ferret. We're about to follow when our steps fable, steps, Jesus Christ, steps Febebel, whatever the fuck, I assume it's a lieutenant, uh, who hadn't been killed, shouted loudly after us, Not you! We're here to stop a Russian counteroffensive! Get your guns ready to fire! Six Hitler unit cadavers were lying on the bottom of the trench, which had completely changed shape. To the left, one end was caved in, and Krauss's boots were sticking out of two cubic yards of gray dirt, and another grenadier had been completely buried. So these guys were literally buried alive under shell fire. That's insane. With the help of the veteran, whose face was streamed with blood, we were able to get the FM back into place. Again, this is the machine gun. The plane, which had been altered beyond recognition, was scarred with holes and lumps as if giant moles had been at work. Wherever one looked, there were smoke and flame and a scattering of motionless bodies. In the distance, through spirals of dust and smoke, we could see grazers, geysers of fire from the bombs which our M110s were dropping on the Russian artillery. It looked as though we'd hit a couple of their ammunition jumps, dumps. The shock waves from those explosions engulfed the earth and sky in an extraordinary intensity of light and displacement of air. Now, I'm not going to read any further, but it continues going like that. And as you can see, towards the, I think it was towards the middle, and especially at the end of the war, the Lend-Lease from the United States, oh yeah, by the way, the majority of the equipment used by the Soviet forces were actually uh, provided to them by the United States. Everything from ammunition to boots to bandages to everything. So a lot of this late war circumstance of artillery superiority, which hadn't been present in the first part of the war, um, hinged on American support. So just bear that in mind. So we keep on going further here, and let's see. So there are, you know, they're waiting for a counteroffensive. 
They had just launched an offensive which had been interdicted by artillery fire. They had been retreating now, as you could hear, and combat continues like that. A lull in combat happens. And we resume with a counteroffensive, a Soviet counteroffensive, and here it is. The veterans stared at the horizon. I'm sure, the stabs went on, that our offensive will begin again, any minute now. But we were watching the veteran. His eyes were growing wider and wider, and so was his mouth, which seemed ready to howl. The stabs had shut up too. We all followed the direction of our gunner's eyes. In the remote distance, a thick black line stretched from one end of the horizon to the other, and was move moving towards us like a wave rolling toward the shore. We stood watching for a moment, and the line was a dense and somehow unreal. Then the veteran shouted in a voice which paralyzed us with fear, It's the Siberians! They're here! There must be at least a million of them! He gripped the butt of his FM, and a demented laugh burst from his clenched teeth. In the distance, a confused tumult of thousands of roaring voices swelled like a hurricane wind. Every man to his post, shouted the stabs, whose eyes remained fixed as if hypnotized on the irresistible Soviet tide. We had picked up our guns like automatons and braced our elbows against the parapet. This is where training comes in. When you're too scared and you've done something and drilled something into your brain so deep that it's almost like second nature, this is where it comes in handy. See, it's not difficult to understand what war is about or how to do things or the different theories, etc. It's not rocket science. What it is difficult is the drill. It's being able to rely on things that you've trained on to impulse, to second nature. And this is where it comes into play. When you're scared out of your mind, you're discombobulated from an artillery barrage, you still do your duty. And that's from good training. As I continue. Let's see here. Ah, here I am. Every man to his post, shouted the stabs, whose eyes remained fixed as if hypnotized on the irresistible Soviet tide. We had all picked up our guns like automatons and braced our elbows against the parapet. Halls was trembling like a leaf, and Lindbergh, his number two man, seemed unable to handle the belt of 7.7S. Get closer to me, Hal shouted. Get closer or I'll kill you. Lindbergh's face was quivering as if he were about to burst into tears. The veteran wasn't shouting anymore. His gun was on the crook of his shoulder, his finger was on the trigger, and his teeth were clenched tightly enough to break. The Soviet war cry was growing continuously louder and more distinct. It was like a long shout, muffled by its great volume. We remained frozen by the danger, unable to judge its magnitude. Our stupor was too great, and we were, par were like paralyzed mice facing a snake. Then Lindbergh broke down. He began to cry and shout, and left his post, throwing himself down on the trench floor. They'll kill us! They'll kill us! We'll all be killed! Get up! shouted the stabs. Get back to your post! I'll shoot you right now! He dragged, to, he dragged him to his feet, but Lindbergh had gone limp as a rag and was streaming with tears. You bastard! shouted Halls. Get killed then! I'll take care of this damn thing myself! By now, we had heard the Russian cries distinctly, a huge continuous, URA! Mama, I thought to myself, Mama! URA! 
Ura Pobobidia Pobieda. I don't know how you pronounce that. Muttered the vi the veteran. Just get a little closer. The human wave was now 400 yards from us. We could also hear the throb of engines and see three planes high in the brightened sky. Planes, said Sudutton, and we all noticed them already. Our anxious eyes left the Russian horde for a moment. The airplane engines were screaming as the planes dived down at top speed. Messerschmitts, shouted the stabs. What guts! Hurrah! We all shouted. Hurrah for the Luftwaffe! The three planes were strung out over the huge Russian thrust, spraying it with death. This seemed to be a signal for our mortars to open fire. They were hidden in the brush and had lengthened their range. The Spendows had survived the bombardment, which had survived the bombardment, began to fire too, while the planes dived down, stimulating our troops to a feverish pitch of courage. I could feel the FM cartridges running through my hand at a dizzying speed. One clip was empty, and we started another. Some of this big, some of the big Wehrmacht guns also opened fire, which must have had a lethal effect on the ranks of Bolsheviks who were charging, as in the days of Napoleon. However, the human tide continued to roll towards us, making our scalps crawl. Only the weight of our helmets kept our filthy hair from standing straight up on our heads, although the idea of death itself no longer terrified us. My eyes remained fixed on the metal, smoking metal of the FM in the steady hands of the veteran. The trembling belts of cartridges moved forward into the machine, shaken as if by a titanic frenzy. Prepare the grenades, shouted the stabs, who was, fired, who was firing with his Luger braced on his left arm. It's useless, shouted the veteran even louder. We haven't even got enough ammunition. We can't stop them. Order the retreat, Stavschwebel, while there's still time. Our frantic eyes moved from lips of one man to another. The Russian war cry, Ura Pobedia, Pobedia, Pobeda, roared closer and closer. The men were firing from their hips as they ran, and the air shook with rushing flight of their bullets. You're crazy, answered the stabs. No one can get away from here, and our boys could be coming at any moment now. So keep firing, for the love of God. But the veteran had already loaded his FM and picked up the last magazine. You're the one who's crazy. Any minute now is too late. But you go ahead and die right here, if that's what you want. No, no, sounded the stabs. The veteran had already jumped out of the trench and was galloping towards the woods, bent over as far as he could, and calling to us as he ran. We grabbed our guns in frantic haste. Run! shouted the Sudeten. We all followed him. For a moment, we were almost mad with terror, racing toward the shattered trees with our lungs on fire, while Russian bullets whistled through the air all around us. There were still seven of us, which seemed astonishing. The stabs had already still followed, finally followed everyone else, but was still protesting, shouting, Cowards! Shoot back! You'll all be killed! Put up a fight! But we continued to run for the trees. Halt! The stabs shouted. Halt, you cowards! We had just caught up with the veteran, and he had stopped for a minute bef behind what was left of a tree. I was right beside him. You bastard! I'll report you for this! I know, the veteran said gasping, almost laughing, but I'd take one of your our firing squads over Ivan's bayonet any day. He began to run again, climbing a pock-marked hillside, stripped of its bush. 
Ay! Hiled the veteran, as Russian bullets struck the earth bank with hollow thuds. Hurry, Stabs, quick! He shouted to our leader, who was still climbing the bank and would never complete his ascent. You'll see. We'll stop them when we get to our lines. The veteran had barely finished speaking when our non-com suddenly cried out and stood up, flapping his arms in an almost comical way. Then he ran back down the little hill and collapsed, with his face pressed into the ground. Damn, Stabs, said the veteran. I told him to hurry up. So as you can see, this is an insane combat situation, which there is no parallel in our modern day. I mean, even in the Ukraine-Russian war right now, where there are waves of men being used in a similar tactic, which is, again, uh, Russian deep battle doctrine, you send the first wave, which is what they were just describing, it's just the first wave. Um, of poorly armored armed men it's still they still wouldn't bayonet rush you they would just engage you like normal infantry would um, and that is the, the crazy thing about this whole circumstance I, I, don't, can't, I can't even imagine living through this or the fact that Gisair was fortunate enough to have lived through forget the, the bayonet charge they would go on and um, retreat to a rear operating location and hold out at a farmstead which they took shelter behind some barricades and basically shot them all down got to hand to hand combat it was grisly some crazy shit happened you should read this but uh, you know forget, forget all that having simply survived an artillery strike you know a fire mission was so powerful to literally bury men alive in their place it's just insane to me and so you know as I keep on going through we see warrior ethics come out you know Gisair doesn't say that he's a hero or that the veteran is a hero of like some kind but they're good men and they fight hard and they do their job well and you know, there's a saying that not all leaders are born, but men can be proficient leaders, right? Everyone can be a proficient leader. And the same thing can be said of warriorhood and soldiery. Not everyone was a born warrior, but everyone can be a proficient soldier. And as you see here, Guy Sayer, even through his fear, through his trials, um, through physical ailments, etc., he still sustained himself. Napoleon had this quote, which, on reading the bayonet charge in the area of Napoleon, reminded me. It reminded me of this time where it says Napoleon, "Oh, the school of the soldier is hardship and deprivation." Teaches a man to be resilient, and I think ultimately that is what the virtue of a soldier is it's fortitude under hardship perseverance under deprivation so I can't read you this entire book and this book is littered with events 
of daily battles such as this. And, for instance, the Battle of Kursk is insane, especially as a mechanized infantryman, how effectively they fought, etc. And this was a, just a sort of random engagement on the front line. This wasn't even the worst. Um, I think you should really take the time to read this book. Again, it's called The Forgotten Soldier by Kisayer. I'll have it linked in the description below. Um, I think you should take your time. If you're in the military especially, um, it's an exceptional example to teach your men fortitude under combat, and circumstances under which how to act, what real life is like. You know, especially World War II is the first, is probably the last time real intense combat like this happened on a massive scale. Now, I was going to read you another passage, but I feel like ending it on that note and just contemplating the crucible of warfare, which was the Eastern Front. I think you can value someone of an archetype like Gisair, a man who did his duty and who fought for his fatherland against great odds. Well, I'm going to leave it at that, and I think I need a drink after that. So, Sergeant Barnes, play that track. That shield, phalanx on the battlefield Got a soul bond with the weapon I wield I'm not the kind of man to magically come up from not a whole lot I owe it all to Caesar and I'll pay him back with all I've got Whole lot of new lands to add to the collection We'll get it with blood, sweat, and divine intervention Not to mention new blood-related brother citizens We'll bring them to their knees to lift them up from what they're living in We do it for the children, not a one of us is faint-hearted Building onto what our father Robbie List started Don't let anybody tell you we got hatred in our blood Everything we touch turns greater than it was All I know is conquest and all I think about is war And all I dream about is glory Till I wake up in the morning No peers of the past or the present We're ahead of them Empire with the lifespan of a millennium It's eternal as the dirt that we go back to when we die Set in stone waiting for the young ones when they get grown Nowadays soldiers are in short supply Can't fight with us if you still gotta ask why It's eternal as the dirt that we go back to when we die Set in stone waiting for the young ones when they get grown Nowadays soldiers are in short supply can't fight with the city, still gotta ask why Hail victory, shattered with the fervor of a madman Everything I do's in the name of the fatherland I'm not the kind of man to magically come up from not a whole lot I owe it to the Fuhrer and I'll pay him back with all I got Last year I couldn't buy bread for my son This year the wife and I are thinking about another one I thought that we were doomed to get swallowed up by the obstacles Now it's hard to not believe that anything's possible Smile as I'm watching all the filth and the smut burning Who'd have thought Rome would come back with the Germans High spots that I'm burning with the heroes the martyrs, anybody wanna party with us? 
we can party harder Even if I die, with an iron cross on my chest Threats on my doorstep, I could never dream of rest Fight it to the death, risk getting decimated I just hope that when my grandson's grown, he'll appreciate it's it It's eternal as the dirt that we go back to when we die Set in stone, waiting for the young ones when they get grown Nowadays, soldiers are in short supply Can't fight with us if you still gotta ask why It's eternal as the dirt that we go back to when we die Set in stone, waiting for the young ones when they get grown Nowadays, soldiers are in short supply Can't fight with us if you still gotta ask why How'd I get to this point? When did I go so bad? When did dead guys replace my long gone dad? I'm not the kind of man who magically comes up from not a whole lot. I yell to my brothers and I'll pay him back with all I've got. Never would have woken up if not for that frog. Never look back, happy where I'm at with all my dogs. Never be alone again. I'm a soldier in an army. Never lose hope, scars, healing eyes, permanently starry. Couldn't talk to anybody, loneliness and pain. Now my new friends are putting all my fake ones to shame. Muscles getting bigger by the month and I'm boxing. Xbox dipped in the books just. Walked in, looking back, I don't even know what I was doing Always knew that I was moving toward a life well ruined And it's crazy how I made it out the pork meat grinder But it's possible, play the song back as a reminder It's eternal as the dirt that we go back to when we die Set in stone, waiting for the young ones when they get grown Nowadays, soldiers are in short supply Can't fight with us if you still gotta ask why It's eternal as the dirt that we go back to when we die Set in stone, waiting for the young ones when they get grown Nowadays, soldiers are in short supply Can't fight with us if you still gotta Gotta ask why It's eternal as the dirt that we go back to when we die Set in stone, waiting for the young ones when they get grown Nowadays, soldiers are in short supply Can't fight with us if you still gotta ask why It's eternal as the dirt that we go back to when we die Set in stone, waiting for the young ones when they get grown Nowadays, soldiers are in short supply Can't fight with us if you still gotta ask why From this day forward, I will never surrender responsibility for my life and deeds this day forward, I prove myself through action. I represent my ideals. I carry myself as if the heroes of the past are watching, because they are. From this day forward, with all of my effort, I will work, struggle, and pray towards a world where no man faces the forces of hell alone, physically, mentally, or spiritually. From this day forward, I will hold myself to the highest standard and will accept nothing less from my peers. Forever and ever. Amen. Will the rise, will the rise. Did you enjoy that? I know I sure as hell did. Anyway, that's No Face Nate again. I think I might hyper hyperlink this motherfucker. Uh, you guys gotta listen to his fucking album, it's really good. But, um, let's see here. So, just to cap it all off. Everyone can be a proficient soldier. And Gisair was an exceptional one. Um, and like I said, much in the same cast as Hector. A man who does not necessarily relish fighting for its own sake, but because he felt duty-bound to do so. And we listen to the transmission of the last men hanging out, or holding out, rather, uh, the Red October factory. That, too, is an example of exemplary soldiery. So, I highly recommend this book. It's called The Forgotten Soldier by Guy Sayer. Um, if you have time, you should definitely read it. If you're in command, make your subordinates read it. And if you're a militiaman, you should read it for yourself. Um, especially because of the fact that partisans and partisan warfare makes the difference in combat 
Yes, you might incur casualties. However, it makes a massive difference in the you know enemy's war effort. If you cut off the logistical supply, boom, the front suffers for it. But let's see here. Okay, so in the future, to pair off this episode, we're going to be talking about Ernst Jünger, about the modern warrior ethic, again, the archetype of Achilles, and I want to go into my favorite, probably cliche work by him, Storm of Steel. In that, we'll describe how man can have a spiritual affirmation much like in the olden days. Like, people say that technology has changed the nature of war. I don't think so. I think spiritually it's the same thing. You embrace death in both ways. If anything, it is a greater spiritual crucible to fight a modern conflict just because of the suddenness and helplessness of a circumstance. If you are helpless, and yet you embrace your mission, and you continue to fight, that is soldiery. That is warriorhood. Um, that's a spiritual experience. And that's exactly what Ernst Jünger brings to the table. Now, that's for the next transmission. There are some logistical items that we need to cover just before I let you go. First, I've been writing this book called Warlord, which is an introductory to all warfare and is meant for both men who are citizen soldiers, for warriors, and for partisans. Um, this should be coming out 15 February next year. Please check out the link tree for the publishing house description. Next, future episodes, at least the first or the second half of it, will be under a paywall. Uh, me and Sergeant Barnes put a lot of effort into our transmissions as well as we drink a lot so we need money for it <laughs> no but in all seriousness though um, it makes it worth our while to invest because you see you know an hour and a half transmission two hour transmission for me on the back end it takes roughly eight hours eight to ten hours and believe it or not we are on different exploits ourselves so this is kind of a passion project. Make it worth my while, make it worth our while, and contribute to the project, if you don't mind. Also, um, just below, I have a URL to the book and a couple other URLs to products on Amazon. Again, this is another way of kicking back some sense from Zog. So, Zog basically makes you buy these items anyway, and if you are going to buy from Amazon, know at any point buy it through me this way amazon's forced to kick back some dollars or cents my way me and sergeant barnes way um, this is a good way of like helping me out and still getting a product and still not completely you know cucking to the system if that makes sense now let's see here if you want further instructions um or places you can connect with me, YouTube, Gab, all this other, you know, transmission apparatuses, please check my link tree. My link tree has all this bullshit on it. You can fucking check it out. You can reach me on whatever platform you deem best. Um, finally, I am gathering uh, 
funds for a combat correspondence mission to Ukraine. Unfortunately, I do not have a date. My ideal date would be the August of next year, um, but it all depends on how quickly I can assemble those funds. If you are so generous and bold, please contribute. I have a link in the description below, and it will help me and Sergeant Barnes make our way over there. The money will be used for obviously plane tickets, sustenance, you know, uh, protective gear, but also most importantly for gifts, if that makes sense. You have to gift people stuff so you can get access to the front lines, you know. You know what I mean. I don't want to get into it. But anyway, to finish off the transmission, we have challenges. For this challenge, I command you to read The Forgotten Soldier. It's not a choice. It's a great book. It's a great read. It's good to relax, and it teaches you a lot. Body. Do 500 push-ups in one session. This doesn't mean do it 500 straight, but don't quit the workout until you have completed 500 push-ups. It's about perseverance under duress. Remember that. And spiritually, spend an hour in silence. So, why? I think I noticed when I was doing land navigation by myself or in the woods that I became unnerved. Unnerved with um, the experience of being alone, uh, the experience of all this stuff, and I did some further cognitive studies, and it said that man is a social animal, obviously. However, the reason why men go crazy in isolation in prison or in the wild is because we actually physiologically need the tension of a social relationship. Now, spending a time by yourself without being on the phone or a book or some kind of mental stimuli, what it does is it stimulates or simulates, excuse me, this circumstance. If you're able to do that, you're able to steal your mind against other kinds of uh, unnerving circumstances. So, you know, whether it's a battlefield situation or the calm before the storm, holding your position, etc. Meditating and not thinking for an hour will help you get that rep in, get that training in, and allow you to succeed in further endeavors. Now, this is General Lance. This is Lance's Legion. We're signing off. Pays robotically programmed and commanded from tender age. But as the memories fade of the days when I would obey, I'm ready to write my own heroic epic. Let me turn the page, never go back to be timid and weak. My body's here, but it's spirit, man. I live with the Greeks. I pulled the sword from the stone, and now I've got a never ending itch. And all I can think about is making Gretel my bitch. Fly me to the moon, I'm pretty sure I could make a new crater. Conquest now and deal with Waterloo later. What's a demon but another notch on my pistol? I prefer to call it ambitious, thinking not a wishful. Listen to the spirit's from the trees and the clouds They'll tell you that it's high time to make them proud War declared, time for battle I'm a man, nobody's cattle Fuck this cage, bite the guard's nose Make the bars rattle Guys, cast, no going back This is how I wanna live How immortal do you wanna be? How much you wanna give? Death just once, ain't a whole lot to pay To live eternal when a coward's gotta die every day Guys, cast, no going back
back, this is how I wanna live How immortal do you wanna be, how much you wanna give Death just once, ain't a whole lot to pay To live eternal when a coward's gotta die every day One thing's for sure, I don't belong in this modern world My lyrics are bullets and flaming arrows that I shoot and hurl Blotting out the sun with them punishing motherfuckers That wanna shut them down at the rich fucks who wouldn't publish them I'm feeling like a predator whenever I exit the den Praying on pathetic, suicidal, effeminate men Half man and half timberwolf, living in the bitter cold Ripping flesh while you're paying for tender gold I kill them dead, filling hearts with dread And now these faggots are all checking for us under their beds Fronting in public like we don't phase them All the while talking about us non-stop like someone pays them Holy shit, it's amazing, I never thought that I'd be reaching you Maybe you're the next up and soon I'll be teaching you I'm just a tool and so are all these fire tracks Little baby steps till we bring the Roman Empire back cast, no going back, this is how I wanna live How immortal do you wanna be, how much you wanna give Death just once, ain't a whole lot to pay to live eternal When a coward's gotta die every day Dice cast, no going back, this is how I wanna live How immortal do you wanna be, how much you wanna give Death just once, ain't a whole lot to pay to live eternal When a coward's gotta die every day I know I'm made of something besides cells and carbon A rebel top to bottom, never begging for a pardon The television stations got me contemplating arson Fake names for my friends, conversations full of coded jargon Modern man's getting sick of the slave life Rising from the gutters with his brothers to brave heights Radical's the only way to be I can't imagine life in slavery And no obsession with breaking free It's war, a battle for the soul of mankind When the blood stops spilling Then you've made it to the end of time And if my words make you feel something It's a sign to fight the system is to side with the divine The best man wins even if he dies trying Live forever as a bitch or be remembered as a lion No crying if it's not tears of joy Yeah, my body's gonna pass But my soul can never be destroyed the cast, no going back This is how I wanna live How immortal do you wanna be? How much you wanna give? Death just once ain't a whole lot to pay To live eternal when a coward's gotta die every day Dice cast, no going back This is how I wanna live How immortal do you wanna be? How much you wanna give? Death just once ain't a whole lot to pay to live Live eternal when a coward's gotta die every day.